All right. Welcome back to the Crave Show with Chris, J. Russ, and we've got a special guest this week, Andy Malchioti. Andy, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Did I say your last name correctly? Yeah, close enough. Malchioti. Close enough. How do you, okay, you say it. How do you say it? Malchioti. Malchioti. All right. Well, it's really good to have you, man. We're so, so glad that you were able to join us this week. Yeah, timing worked out great. So happy to be here. Awesome. I, I got to tell you guys a story. Um, uh, Jay Russ, are you familiar with, I think we've talked about this, the hero to heel syndrome. Did we ever talk about that? Did I ever tell you that uh, story? Of it's my... not ringing a bell. Okay. <clears throat> so I was, I've been working in the tunnel over the quite a bit the past couple of weeks, just helping cover shifts and stuff. Mm. And so I took a class and, and this particular class, it was one of those classes where everybody was like really chill, really enjoying flying, like having fun, just a good, like, I just felt like I was connected. It was a small group of people. I felt like I was kind of connecting with everybody, just having a lot of fun. People were wanting to learn, like asking questions, engaging. It was just really fun. And so, um, that part was awesome. And it was kind of making me feel as an instructor, like they were learning, they were, you know, enjoying it, made me feel really good, made me feel kind of cool. So after the class was over, it's time for the demo. So I jump in to fly my demo and the first, you know, 10 seconds or so is fine, totally smooth, kind of, you know, doing what I want to do. And then you ever have those times where it's just like, everything's off. Like your flying is just off. Like, so from, from then on the rest of like the other 45 or 50 seconds, no matter what I was doing, and it wasn't like super diff difficult, complicated stuff. I was just like banging into the glass. I'm like not doing what I intended to do, like almost hitting the turning veins, all this different stuff. And at the end of my demo, I did a layout and was going to fly head first out the door. And as I'm coming to the door, I've done that hundreds of times as I'm coming around, I just smashed right into the door jam with my shoulder. I mean, just smacked it and it kind of tumbled out of the door a little bit. And of course all the people, so I went from hero, you know, before the demo mm -hmm. to heel in front of them. And, um, they were all kind of like, not sure if they could laugh at me or not. Of course I'm laughing and the driver, my friend, Jason, he's laughing, but they're all kind of like, uh, you know? And so then we go into, we have this little area where we debrief and we go over there and I I'm trying to like play it off, like no, no big deal. And I just said, Oh, you know, you guys did awesome. That was so fun. Do you guys have any questions about flying or anything like that? And this one little boy, he's probably like seven years old. He raises his hand. I was like, yeah, what's up, buddy? He goes, yeah, I, I have a question I was going to ask you. I was like, sure. What is it? He goes, I was just wondering, does your head hurt from hitting it on the glass so many times? This <laughs> <laughs> uh, is awesome. So cool. he, he wrote to heel syndrome. That was, that was my day the other day. All right. Uh, I was, when you were talking, I was going to say that when I used to race motorcycles, um, I knew, I knew when I had to get more calories in my system because, uh, just suddenly I'd be kind of fuzzy on the track and, um, you know, things that I would normally do pretty easily if I'm turning hot laps or are, are suddenly somewhat complex. And, um, I, the, I, I would, I started recognizing it pretty quickly and I would stop and, Hey, I gotta get it. I gotta get some food in my system. Um, so maybe that was, maybe you were a little hypoglycemic or something. Hy yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Maybe um, so. I actually, that day I hadn't, I had eaten a small breakfast and hadn't eaten anything most of the day. So I didn't even think about it, but yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It, reminds yeah, so. me, it reminds me of a great story that Mike Bone told us the other day. And Jay Russ, you're in the story, but I, I don't think you were there. 
unfortunately, because it would have been awesome to get your perspective. <clears throat> but maybe you remember it. It it stemmed from, uh, I think, Seth asking why Mike Bone wasn't interested in fun jumping on the weekend. And he was like, because, or like, specifically maybe doing two ways or three ways with just some homies on the weekend. He's like, because that's not what it'll be. It will be three, four, five, six, seven, Mike Bones 12 way that I'm paying my slot for. How did this yeah. happen? <laughs> and, and he told a story of a space ball jump that was meant to be a two way. I think that he was one of the um. jump he was organizing early on in his career. And that blossomed into a Mike Bones eight way ball jump with all uh, you know, his mentors and people that he looked up to and then come time to catch the ball, he was just, oh, and he's just blowing it, retrieving the ball. And so you just, whoop, I'll take that. Yeah. And, and then walk past him, toss him the ball. I've seen it happen to the best of us. And, that was, and that's the only thing that was said. Um, so, yeah. I do remember that joke. <laughs> I'm reminded of that story, talking about hero to heel, and sort of tangential to that is a, a Joe Jennings story when he had 100 jumps, and this guy's like, hey, let's go on a two-way. He's like, okay. And this guy is just slamming into Joe, like does this flip and like slams into Joe. <laughs> and, it, and, Joe and when Joe tells the story, he's like, and you know what I was thinking the whole time? Man, this guy is good. <laughs> <laughs> Because you just don't know any better. You, you, as a, someone with 100 jumps and you just assume this guy has more experience than you and he knows more things than you, whatever he's doing, it must it be must good, be right? Good. It must yeah. be cool. And you just have no sense of it. And I love that story. That's yeah. funny. Uh, that's what I was reminded of those two things listening to you. That's awesome. Cool. All right. Well, for those uh, people that are going to be listening to us and don't know who Andy is, uh, let's, can you give us a quick bio? Like whatever you feel is important about yourself, Andy. Uh, I did my first jump in 1996, which was a tandem. I then went on to university. So I kind of put Scott Ebbing on the shelf for a while. I, I did my AFF in uh, the end of 2000. Um, just a recreational fun jumper between then and 2006. Did some teams starting in 2004, um, and then since then I've only I've only not gone to nationals, I think twice since 2004, but I sort of transitioned into professional skydiving in 2006, and then uh, you know all the ebbs and flows that come with that career, uh, kind of mostly focused on coaching in the beginning, a little bit of event organizing, and then got my ratings a couple years later, my tandem and AFF a couple years later. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, as the year, as the years went on, you know, I would sort of, uh, favor one thing, you know, focusing on working at the school tandems and AFF and then focus on event organizing the next year. Uh, however, the mood sort of struck me and, um, focused on free fly, uh, competition, free fly, uh, teams between 2004 in 2012 or 13, I should say, did some VFS in between there or in addition to, 
and then uh, was focused on bringing uh, mixed formation skydiving into the uh, consciousness of uh, the U.S. jumpers starting in 2014, and that's sort of been my focus competitively ever since. So some of our some of our listeners are I think we have a, a broad range of listeners it seems like but a lot of them are newer younger jumpers so can you give us a, run, a explanation or rundown of mixed formation skydiving what does that what does that mean what is that sure it's uh so it's the only formation skydiving discipline with two people instead of a minimum of four uh, but that's because it utilizes uh, all four primary flight surfaces within the same dive pool. So belly to earth, back to earth, feet to earth, head to earth, that you could have uh, a draw or your uh, your sequence um, calling for any one of those four orientations in the same jump. Uh, if you're in the open class uh, at any given round, the advanced class has a, some caveats to that, but uh, but that's the distinction between other formation skydiving disciplines. Okay, and then and talk about why is that why is that significant that that's well, it's unique. Uh, it's it's a it calls for a broader skill set. Um, if you're doing any sort of belly formation skydiving, that's the only orientation you need to be uh, really adept at. Uh, if you're doing VFS, then obviously you're head to, head up, head down. Um, here, it, it calls on everything, and the fall rate changes therein present a unique challenge and a unique uh, distinction between the other formation skydiving disciplines. Yeah, so very abrupt speed changes. Uh, they can be. I mean, you learn to fly, to fly your body in and out of the different orientations in such a way that it's not, it doesn't necessarily need to be abrupt as you say but okay. uh, it can be if the technique isn't refined yeah yeah and this, so this is something i honestly don't know about uh about it that discipline are the if if it, if it calls for belly to earth does that mean both people will be belly to earth is there ever i mean i'm i'm just imagining there's not a time when someone's one person is belly to earth and one person's head down is it or is no, there no that's a good question uh it it might it might be belly back one flyer belly to earth the other flyer back to earth. There's no point in which one flyer is vertical and one flyer is flat. Okay. Although there is a new block under consideration that would start with both flyers vertical, ending with both flyers flat after the inter. So that's kind of exciting. Looking forward to that. Nice. So I don't know why is how is that different? I don't I'm not sure I follow. Uh, so on a block where you have one point followed by uh, your move, your inter, and a second point. That's what constitutes a block. Uh, ordinarily, on the top of the block and the bottom of the block, you're vertical on both sides or your belly back on both sides. Oh, okay. This new block under consideration starts vertical. You have your inter and it ends flat. Oh, okay. So that cool. would be something unique or something. So that's just, a, that's just a new... A new dynamic to the to the movement. Or yeah, something. so I'm I, I'm trying to do all the things I think might matter uh, as far as bringing MFS to the international stage, and one of those things is matching VFS and regular four way FS in terms of number of rounds and the same number of blocks and randoms. Uh, so in trying to uh, satisfy that. 
we need to come up with some new blocks. And that was one that we thought was pretty cool. Sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, JRS, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say it's worth noting that, um, it, at least in my opinion, having done most types of camera, that MFS camera is about as challenging as it gets for a camera flyer. I don't, I didn't do camera for the two way. Andy's a world, he left out that he's a world champion of uh, two way free fly. Um, and I know I've never done that discipline for camera, I don't think. Um, but MFS is incredibly challenging. Yeah. Uh, he also a, a left out in. He also left out in the uh, bio stuff that uh, he's been on all the head down records, I think, since what, 44? Um, no, uh, the first head down record was 2003, 24 away. Uh, that was 24. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, 2004, I, I would have, I'd give myself a fair chance had I gone out for it but there were some other things going on in my life that I, I chose not to. That was the 42 way. I wasn't on that. Uh, the first head down record I was on was 2005 for the 53 way. Okay. And then uh, after 2012, I sat out a couple cycles and then uh, was on board this last time trying to get the 200 way. And he, uh, sorry, I'm going to fill in the gaps because Andy's modest to a fault, but um, there's a ton of California organizing, California records. Um, Andy has been sort of, not, I mean, it's a big state, but Andy's been kind of California skydiving, at least SoCal, um, Southern California skydiving, organizing at, uh, I believe, Paris and Elsinore for um, all kinds of big ways, sequentials, um, some of the most innovative skydiving that's happened probably for free flying since I don't know when. Um, and then also as a participant, not just a participant in all the big way head down skydiving, but um, as an organizer as well, and is also part of the organizing crew for the upcoming head up records, which I, th I think you've done before. Yeah, I've, I've been part of every head up uh, organizing team for the head yeah. up records. So there's just a couple, couple gaps in there, including a world championship. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, said, yeah that's, we're a, keeping it that's a huge one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I have a couple of questions. One is about the um, the mixed formation. So, from what I understood you say a second ago, there's never a time when one person would be on their back and one person would be vertical. That doesn't happen either. That's correct. Yeah, if it, it's either both flyers vertical or both flyers uh, flat. Flat. Yeah. Is is there? What, so why not? Why not ever want? Because I, I, I mean, yeah. Why not one ever back and be, one vertical? It, it would that... be almost like obnoxiously difficult, you know. Like there would are it... certain flyers who could pull it off, but it wouldn't. You know, you don't want to put blocks in the dive pool that will definitely slow down the flow. Okay. You, know, you want things that are reasonably challenging and reasonably fun, and not necessarily incredibly easy but one of the primary considerations is does it fit within the context of every other block you mm. want it to flow together you want gotcha. it to be fun you want the scores to go up you don't really want to do something to make the scores go down yeah so and there's just you know as we were coming up with potential new blocks um for this upgrade to the dive pool we flew like some ridiculous things that were neat and fun and artistic but they just would be out of place and yeah prohibitively too, too difficult much. prohibitively difficult for you know 
even even in someone doing their open class dive pool for the first time. Yeah. So all those things need to be taken into consideration because it's not that it's impossible, but it just sort of fails a, a couple. Yeah. Tests. No, that, that, that makes sense. And that I, I haven't really done any, I haven't done any competitive skydiving at all. So there's a lot of these things that I don't, I don't understand or know, or even know to think about like all the things you just said. Um, that's really interesting. Andy, is it, is it fair to say you created that discipline? I, I shy away from that designation because there were other people involved and I, I was just the aggregator is kind of how I think of it as because the original dive pool that was presented to USPA was a combination of the existing free fly dive pool that was within the free fly discipline prior to them moving to artistic compulsory rounds, which started in 2012, or I should say restarted in 2012, because that's what it was originally. <clears throat> if that was confusing, no, we, can, we can circle back to that. But um, so it was, it was those 10 randoms that comprised that. It was Jason Peters' uh, gauntlet tunnel dive pool. It was some of the early, uh, early, uh, what's the tunnel organization? The uh, USIS. Prior to that. IBA. Oh, yeah, the, the I early IBA dive pool as well. <clears throat> and then we came up with stuff on the fly too. So we took the meat and potatoes of those three sources of uh, randoms and blocks and we just needed to satisfy a six round meet at the time and then came up with a couple new ones if memory serves. And I just packaged it up and we wanted standard formation skydiving rules anyway. So it wasn't like we were reinventing the wheel as far as that's concerned. And it wasn't new to the judges because they, they judged it in free fly already. So it was a, it was a pretty easy pivot. Um, and it's so uh, durable and compartmental, younger jumpers. It's a, it's a perfect vehicle for younger jumpers to have a goal because you can, it, it can accommodate such a spectrum of skydiving. Someone fresh off an A license can take the points that are both belly and work on those all the way to the mm -hmm. highest level open class competitor. And it stair steps nicely from belly to one on the belly, one on the back, uh, to you know, both sit flying. You know, it, it stair steps nicely and feeds a progression. And if VFS is your goal, it's a great stepping stone for that. It has its own identity and you can start with MFS and either stay on that path all the way to the end or you can branch off into VFS as your skills allow. Um, so, you know, USPA was, was very supportive and uh, they, you know, it wasn't a hard sell to explain all yep. that to them. Um, so they wanted to see it happen. And uh, I was just, you know, I was just the one that brought it all together, ran the regional events, made sure the test event happened at nationals in 2013. And, uh, you know, just got it out of the blocks, so to speak. <clears throat> And so 2013 a, was that thing. that was the first year that uh, the test event was and it was a smashing success so <clears throat> it all got green lit and stamped after that and 2014 was the first official year that's cool do you so do you remember <clears throat> sorry in 2013 like how many 
whoever won first place that year, how many, what was their scores? Do you remember? I'm just interested to know, like um, from 2013, the scores then to the scores now, are they drastically different? Yeah, for sure. Uh, We just, this past nationals, we set our best average, which was 17 and change. I want to say was our average this past year Um, over eight rounds with a full dive pool. You averaged 17. Yeah. 17 and change. So it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison because you're talking about a simplified dive pool with only six rounds. Even so it definitely has trended up, but that trend would be much more if it was actually an apples to apples comparison. But I want to say if, if, if I had to guess, uh, I would say the winning average in 2013 was in the realm of 13, 14. Okay. Yeah. But if it was the same dive pool we do now, it would be more like 11 or 12. Okay. Yeah. Have you, Andy, can you, can you yeah. just talk briefly about the, you don't have to go ad nauseum or anything, but just the sort of the attempts to get it onto the international stage and sort of where that process is at. Um, not to frustrate uh, you, but. Yeah, no, no, it's uh, good. Actually, it's funny, the timing of it, because a a British uh, woman reached out to me who has been jumping 16 years and been doing, has done a lot of FS, and and she's super intrigued by it and really wants to sort of do what I did here. She wants to do that with the British Parachute Association. So, and they're not strangers to it, you know, like they, people are peripherally aware of it at minimum. And the biggest challenge, actually, like JRS, the story involving you and I back in 2018, I want to say it was, the indoor uh, world championships in Montreal. Uh, JRS was there with CORE, of course, and I was there doing the the broadcast. And I took that opportunity to reach out to the one of the FS controllers who, um, you know, is influential and in the decisions made concerning new disciplines and stuff like that. Because what I had heard from, you know, the rumor mill was that they thought it was, they interpreted it as a JV VFS or a, Mm. just a, just a two way VFS. That's all it is. And so it was my goal, if nothing else, to dispel them of that, interpretation so i brought j russ with me as my corroborator (laughs) and we had that conversation i felt like i was mostly being humored and entertained i don't know if uh how well it landed but the conversation happened which was good uh but that was you know five years ago and nothing really has happened but but what he said was you know, it, it, it needs to be a ground up approach, like a grassroots effort, because it's a real chicken or egg situation, because smaller countries don't want their athletes focused on a discipline that doesn't take place at the world meet. Fair enough. And those countries are like, hey, if they do it, then we'll do it. And the powers that be are like, well, if countries do it, we'll adopt it. <laughs> so like somebody's got to yeah. go first. And so... I would also prefer it to be a grassroots thing. I think that's stronger in the long run. Um, and as of just recently, uh, Tracy 
Holman reached out to me to let me know that given the new relocation of the 2024 world meet from Israel to North Carolina, there's going to be a de facto MFS world championships, um, an exhibition event at the world meet, which is, which is huge. It's a really nice way to bridge the gap because it's been a real source of helpless, a helpless feeling for me because everyone wants to ask this question and I don't ever really have a better answer than what I've offered so far because at the end of the day, it has to be some passionate athlete within those countries to pick up the baton and run with it. Like we can't do it for them. And it's a big ask, you know, we're like, we're asking them, Hey, take this to your Federation, sell them on it, get a team together, train, run a series of regional test events, and then get it into your nationals as a test event. It's like anything else, you know, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't take it upon myself to try to ask that of people. It's too much. And I kind of feel like I just have to wait for someone who is passionate about it to come to me, ask the right questions. And I'm hoping uh, this, this woman who just reached out to me is, is that person for the UK. And we just need that person for a few other countries. Uh, but I like, I like what we have planned and the details haven't really been ironed out yet. But to put it in front of the judges and the, and the competitors in North Carolina, I think will be great. And it's a really, uh, it's something we can do. And I haven't had anything that I can do for the reason I just mentioned, like I can't do it for the other countries, but what we can do is host a competition, invite them to participate, show them how it has its own identity. And hopefully some people leave that with a fire that they can then go to their federation and, and, uh, and do what I did. That's the plan. Cool. So I just wanted to back up because some of some of our listeners are pretty new and they, um, it, the, that MFS does not exist as a world level competition right now. It is primarily focused in the U.S. and it is at our U.S. nationals. Um, there have been a couple other countries, Australia and the U.K. in particular, I think, who have who have kind of picked it up. Um, but with respect to what you said about that British woman who who reached out to you, if people are listening and they're you know, located in another country and they want to check out your discipline, what's the best way for them to get information about the formations and the rules? And, um, you know, like, do you have something on, do you have a website? Uh, no, I just direct people as far as the rules and whatnot, like going yeah. to the skydivers competition manual on the USPA okay. website, if you want to see the formations. And as far as seeing MFS in action, I, I, I refer people to two places. One, my Vimeo channel. So if you search just my name, Andy Malchiotti on Vimeo, you'll find my Vimeo channel and anything labeled Flight Shop. You can watch hours of MFS and you can watch my uh, invitational free fly events that JRS was referring to earlier. But that's like, obviously you're watching the top team. It's not necessarily accessible. It could be very intimidating for someone just wanting to get involved. So I also refer people to the AXIS uh, Flight mm -hmm. School website um, on their articles section. They've done a ton of articles just talking, coaching you through just how to execute blocks and randoms and things to think about. So that's a really good resource too, uh, especially for a newer team. And then... Um, just finally on this, because I, I want to ask about a few other things, but um, if someone were trying to get their neck to adopt it, 
um, do you have any guidance or could people reach out to you sort of to help with that process of just, just what you said in the, a few seconds ago, you, you mentioned sort of the, the necessary conditions that might exist for it to be adopted at, at, at an, uh, I guess a country level, but just, um, if someone doesn't watch this or they only get a little bit of information, can they reach out to you about, um, how they might proceed with that process? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Facebook is easy to find. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's the easiest sell ever to your federation. It's like, like I said, it, whatever discipline someone might eventually be interested in, they can start with two way belly MFS, like, and branch off from there. Uh, because it's the easiest, you only need one other human, you can do it out of a small airplane. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the best ways to foster competition that I know of. Um, so what federation wouldn't want that, you know? So it's a, it's a pretty easy, yeah. easy sell, I feel like. And I'm not, I don't cool. consider myself a good salesman at all. And if I can, so if I can do it, <laughs> then, then you can do it. Cool. So you, you guys, um, have used a couple words that I want to have you clarify for, well, a little bit for me, but also for our listeners, blocks and randoms. Can you give mm -hmm. me the, the, like the elementary, like I know nothing can you explain hmm. those to me? What is the difference in a block and a random? Go ahead, Andy. And those are, so, are is, correct me, is it correct that uh, all all formation, uh, Scott, I mean, they all use those terms the same way, like belly, VFS, and MFS all use those terms the same way? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So depending on the class of uh, open class, intermediate, advanced, and the discipline itself, your draw, when you do a round, will be comprised of uh, either, it will draw to four or five points in some disciplines, it will draw to five or six points in other disciplines. A block is two points, a random is one. So, as they're doing the draw, if it gets drawn random, random block, and we'll use MFS as this example because it's only drawn to four or five, then that's where the draw would stop. And that would be a four round, excuse me, a four point round or a four point draw. If it got drawn block, random block, then it would stop there. And now that's a five point draw. So a random is a formation. It has grip assignments and you build it and that's it. The block has grip assignments on the top end and on the bottom end, it may be the same grips. It may be different grips, but there are other grip assignments on the bottom end and between the two, there is some motion to execute some, uh, I don't know what else to refer to it as uh, motion sequence, uh, transition of body transition, position. Transition. Yes. Uh, to execute before you build the bottom part of the block and together those are two points. Okay. So in, in MF, so is a, is a random and a point, can you use those terms interchangeably? Uh, well, the points are for both. A random happens yeah. to be one, a block is two. So points are points. Oh, points are like score, whether... like, like your a score, not like points, like built, like 
points of a formation. Well, they're one and the same. Like you're okay. building the point and you earn you get a point. point. Okay, gotcha. All right, yeah. that's helpful. So now the the randoms, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. The blocks, do you have to stay linked during the transition? It depends. It's prescribed. They're, it's what? It's prescribed. It's prescribed. Oh, sometimes it's, you do, sometimes some, you don't. Yeah. Yeah, in, in four-way, be it uh, flat or BFS, you have peace partners that you may always hang on to for the inter. You may not. You may be a, a okay. subgroup of three and one. I mean, Jay Russ would be better to describe the BFS blocks, but obviously in MFS, it's just the two of you. So <laughs> there are no subgroups per se. Right. It's you build, you release, you do the thing, you come back. Um, but are so, there times in the, in the MFS, are there times when the trend, the block is linked? No, no. Okay. Cause there's no, there's no subgroups. It's just two people. No, but I didn't so, know if like, maybe like a, a half Eagle or something, something of that sort where you have to stay linked to, to, during the transition no, that would be trending in an artistic direction gotcha like it it's point break enter point gotcha okay that makes sense and and you actually there are there is an eagle block and you have to be off the grips prior to leaving your current orientation and entering the target orientation okay if you're not off block or excuse me off grips by the time you make that transition it's going to be a bust meaning you're not going to get awarded the point because you actually are required to be off that grip um but like i said it's it's pretty cut and dry in mfs because it's two solo flyers whereas in vfs you might have two subgroups of two a subgroup of three and a solo uh yeah okay J -Rusk gotcha. would be better suited to handle those details yeah I mean, there, just as Andy said, there could be two groups of two, there could be a three and one, um, but eight way belly obviously affords more opportunities for different subgroups. Um, I just want to clarify, cause Andy said enter a couple of times that the, for a block, there's the, the beginning picture or setup. everything that happens in the middle is generally referred to as the enter and rotation turns or orientation changes or whatever that is the enter and then the bottom of the block. And so it's, it's a little bit funny to me that there's three different places you can bust, um, but you only get two points that you, know, you can, there's the top picture that you have to build correctly. You have to do the enter also correctly. And then you have to build the bottom picture correctly. Uh, and all those have to work, right? You have three different things to get two points. Huh? Yeah. Should be three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that so, would be easy to take advantage <clears throat> of though. Oh, what could, do you mean? Well, this might be getting into some weeds, but, uh, under under the conditions that you could actually get awarded the second point if you messed up the inter, unless the inter was its own point, in which case what I'm about to say wouldn't apply. But if you intentionally flubbed the inter just to get to the second point that much faster, oh, I see. You're forfeiting forfeiting the middle it. point because yeah. you could go that fast. See, Andy's competed with the French before, so that kind of stuff comes to the front of your mind. I mean, it, 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 it's dang, every competitor's—it's every competitor's job to bend the rules until they break, and yeah. everyone does that. Yes, that's, that's where my mind goes. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, one more. Can I, one more question. Okay, sorry. Yeah. One more. I'm, I'm assuming I know the answer to this, but in in y'all's VFS, y'all's vertical course. Uh, JRS, the Crave course, mm -hmm. and you talked about, remember the cone and like how you judge if someone is in that orientation, right? 
Yeah. For, for competition, there's like, there's a way to judge that, right? How do, well, know if I mean, someone's in a, how do you know if someone's in a head up orientation or not? I, th I think that the SEIM now just uses that template for, for free flying generally. Um, I would, I would have to, I guess, check with one of the judges, but I believe the way that we wrote that is, is what's currently in use for MFS as well. And that's a judgment call from the judges, um, as far as, uh, they were, you know, you're allowed a little bit of deviation away from the vertical axis or the, or the horizontal axis, whatever. Um, but, uh, the, the intent of clarifying that, um, was the the previous iteration of the rule basically said that if you were approximately head down the word approximately was actually used in the uh in the manual and i i didn't care for that and there were several times where competitors would as andy said bend the rules until they should have been broken and they were not and so you know if you imagine that in your inter you're required to go to your feet and come back to your head or you start the block on your feet, but then you need to be head down at the end. Block 16 comes to mind, which is Chimmy Chimmy. Um, that there were several teams that the competitor that was supposed to be in an upright orientation, a head up orientation, would just would just do their transition enough that they were on their back, but kind of hug their feet underneath their butt. Mm -hmm. So it looked look kind of sit-ish um, and then quickly flip back to their head. Um, it was the French team, uh, just so we're clear. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> And then the rule needed to be changed um, because there was just too much ambiguity about what could constitute it. But I, 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 if I'm getting thrust to your question, it's the, I believe it's the same template for, for MFS as it is for VFS yeah, or for yeah. two-way VFS it, in the tunnel. It has been, and it's a good topic because if I'm reading between the lines, maybe it's not perfect, but maybe for VFS, it's probably pretty functional. We're running, we're running into some problems with it in MFS. Uh, and, be, and, and this is the good part about it not yet being an inter international discipline where when we see something that's not quite right, we can change it and we don't have to ask anybody or run it by any international powers that be. So that's yeah. nice. Um, but so we have head grips in MFS where VFS does not. Hmm. So on a point where someone's, um, if I'm sit flying and someone's head down in front of me and they're meant to dock on my head and I present the grip, but my torso comes out of that hourglass, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem right that I should be busted for presenting the grip. Right. If, mm -hmm. if you are you know, it, 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 you're telling me I'm not sit flying, like, pretty mm. sure I am, you know, like, yeah. and if, and if I'm not sit flying, what am I doing? You <laughs> know, so, time. right. So w what we're pushing for this year mm. would be to essentially just turn it into a 45 box, mm. acknowledging that this is not perfect either, but it seems uh, to be a little bit more liberal for that kind of thing. And this might be difficult to describe in words without a picture, but you know, the, the hourglass, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, is only 30 degrees, I think. Um, it's 20, 20 degrees on each. I, I originally said 22 and a half and the judges got pissy. So I just went back to 20. Well, in any event, like it's, it, it's a good thing to aim for. Like that's ideal. 
but there's plenty of circumstances within MFS where it's so fluid and even serpentine in fashion. If you watch some of our videos, you'll get a sense of what I mean. When we're going from vertical to flat, back to vertical, like it having additional flexibility, which is clearly under control is a good thing we think. Um, yeah. And that's just one example of the, of the head grip. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I'm curious. I had been curious to know if it was working in, in, in BFS. I presume it is at least well enough. It, um, but, it but we're looking yeah. to, we're looking to open up that into more of a 45 and that way, you know, that way, at least you can say, if you're past 45, then you're belly flying. You know, it, it, you're somewhere. There shouldn't right. be a case where it's like, well, if I'm not sit flying, what am I doing? Mm. You know, like that shouldn't even be a question that anyone ever asks. I uh, think the 45 could work too, because even in the situation that I described where uh, Fred was stopping on his back, that would, it would still, 45 would still cover that. Um, yeah. So it, I'm sure the judges would really appreciate just one picture for, for all the disciplines yeah. and not, yeah. not just modifying that for, yeah, for sure. So that head grip is head to head. Is that what it, what you're saying? Hand. -head. No, no, no. It's a, hand, Oh, it's hand head. Hand, so like hand grip on the head, like Spock or something. Is that what we call it? Or does it have a name? Yeah. There's a double Spock where the head up flyer and the head down flyer each have a single grip. There's uh, a different uh, random where the head down flyer has a, a two handed grip on the sit flyers head. Oh, the head down flyer is okay. In that in that random the, the the sit flyer doesn't have a grip. Okay. Is there one where the the sit flyer has two hands on the head down? There is, is that one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Should I move on, Chris? You got Yeah, mark? go ahead. No, go ahead. I keep interrupting you. Sorry. Okay. Man. I just no, no, I, I don't okay. know any of this stuff, so I just keep thinking of no, questions. It's, good. <laughs> it's great. It's just Andy's done a lot of stuff and there's lots to talk about. Um so Andy made a full length movie. Um and it was released uh, I believe early this year, um, it is called the hex and, uh, it is available on Amazon prime mm -hmm. and I'm going to stop there and let Andy give us his synopsis of that project. Cause it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's a, whew. things always take longer than you think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just hex. So there's no the, it's just hex. Um, and my first free flight teammate, uh, in 2004, his name's Chris Johnston and he and I, uh, spent a lot of time and became close. He was one of my, my, my first, my first good friends that I made when I moved to California. And, uh, he had a 20 year career in, uh, post-production sound for movies and various productions. And he retired from that and. And he had always helped me. I've made a, probably a dozen skydiving short film comedies uh, over the years, and he used to help me with those. And uh, once he retired from his career there, it just so happened, you know, where I was in my life, it, it just, the stars sort of aligned that if we wanted to try to make a proper feature film as a business venture, then was the time to do it. So we did. And uh, yeah, I mean, 
and as a bunch of amateurs like doing our best it took a while while we still managed our day jobs and everything else we had going on in life but long story short we filmed we started filming in december of 2015 and actually the first thing we shot was some of the hard the very difficult skydiving scenes that uh jress and steph were both kind enough to donate their time and skills to and we jumped at elsinore for the weekend and uh got some stuff done and then and then the, the meat of the production took place uh between january and february of 2016 and we shot five days a week uh for i think five weeks straight uh at the drop zone while they were still you know running normal operations so it was a huge challenge and but a lot of fun and uh and then when we finished like we had just spent ourselves in every sense of the word so like we had to sort of recharge in every conceivable way you can interpret that uh and wait on the red otter which as luck would have it needed the wings replaced so to finish a lot of the skydiving we needed the red otter and it wasn't available so we had to wait many months but but that was fine uh, we did wait we got it done and then uh the post-production continued we chipped away at the remaining things we needed to shoot some of which we were like oh yeah we need that and then you know it was kind of a we had to reverse engineer some things which i've since learned is all par for the course with movie making and um enter covid uh we had pretty much finished the post-production and we're ready to start selling it or trying to sell it to a distributor and within hollywood and production you know all of it had been shut down so distributors started to get a bit antsy um and we were in the right place at the right time and long, you know, long story short there, uh, we had uh, Lionsgate as our North American distributor, which is pushing way above our weight. Like it was a, the, the whole the whole project of getting distribution was interesting. Um, initially, we were dealing with like just the bottom of the barrel indie horror film distributors. And you would look at their catalog and you're like, man. <laughs> We're better like we, than this. I, I, I feel like we'd be, be the best. I feel like we'd be the best movie in this catalog. That's not good. <laughs> I want to be not the worst movie be. in the next that, level up. <laughs> right. It's like, and, and that's the question, right? That, that's the question that we didn't know the answer to. It's like, where do we belong? Like, I have no, I have no delusions about what we created. You know, I think it's. I'm really proud of it, and I think it's great for the time energy and money we had available to execute and i don't think i would challenge any other team of humans with the same set of resources to to do better you know what i mean i'm, I'm super proud of what we accomplished but that said you know it's it's a low budget horror film right so um but i didn't want to be the best i certainly didn't want to be the best movie I wouldn't really want to be the worst movie either. <laughs> I just want to be right in the middle. Yeah. You know, but obviously like getting uh Lionsgate on board, I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to be 
close to the worst, but that's okay. Because um, Lionsgate's, you know, a really successful that's company. That's huge, man. I mean, that's, that's a lot of crazy. Great products. Yeah, it was crazy. And, you know, so really it's, we we went into it eyes wide open, but even so, you just can't anticipate how much work it is um, over and how long it's going to take. It's really like many different projects in sequence. It's it's writing the movie. It's doing the pre-production on the movie. It's making the movie. It's doing the post-production on the movie. And then it's selling the movie. So most of which we had zero experience in. Well, not most, but, you know, especially the selling part, like we had zero experience with that. Everything else we had, we had some experience in, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a proxy film school. You know, I, I think with all the money we spent, it's still way less than what it would be if we, if we went to film school. So I'll take it. It was a, it was a great, it was a great experience. I would not want to do it again in the, in the manner that we did it. Um, but I would love to do another movie with a little bit more support. So it's a skydiving based horror movie, right? Or yeah, can, there's skydiving elements in your horror movie. Can I read the, <clears throat> the little tagline on Amazon prime? Sure. Yeah. A young backpackers holiday romance turns into a nightmare yep. when the couple become the unwitting playthings of a vengeful and horrific entity. No, there, there's, there's a couple different movies that oh, that's have the not same it? title. Oh, a couple, a couple different movies of the same title. So you got to oh, make sure sorry, you're finding dude. it's got a, it's got Hex. a free fall skydive on top. Jonah Hex, Hex. Oh, Hex here. I found it now. Following a mysterious disappearance on a jump, a group of skydivers experience paranormal occurrences that leave them fighting for their lives. Okay. This one looks way more interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Very cool, man. That's so cool. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, for those people who are out there who want to watch a skydiving movie with uh, Andy, are you in it or did you just sit behind the camera? Oh, yeah. No, I'm in the You're opening in scene. Yeah. Okay. And it's my, my Alfred it. Hitchcock moment, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, what I, that's what I was going for. I mean, you might. You might have to say like M. Night Shyamalan or however you say his last yeah. name for, so that the kids these days understand what you're talking about. Um, That's <laughs> um, But uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of, of uh, skydivers in it that people know. Steph and I were in it. Andy's in it. Um, uh, Mikey Carpenter was in there. Uh, he did He did all 90% no, of the cinematography, the aerial cinematography. Yeah. Um, Ryan Risberg was in it. He's no longer with us, sadly. Was Melissa there? I can't remember who else was in the movie. Yep. Uh, so Melissa and Hannah Betts were yep. the primary stunt doubles for the lead character. So they did a bunch of freestyle stuff and the stunt work. Well, Melissa did the freestyle stuff and Hannah did most of the stunt stuff. And um, and you can get it on Amazon Prime, I believe. And is there anywhere else you can you can uh, Apple TV that? as well. Yeah. Apple TV. App mm-hmm. Yep. So, and I have yet to get any royalties. So if all the skydivers that listen to us go out there, I might get a dollar. Yeah. There you go. Buy it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no better way to support it. Really. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Chris, you got questions about that? Cause I got more questions. No, go ahead. Go. Okay. So I, we're, we've been, we're on 51 and a half minutes now. So that, you know, normally we go about an hour, there's no prescribed limit, but, um, but I don't know how to condense what you're doing sort of currently with the, the, multiple projects that you got going on. But I think that, um, 
Echelon might be cool to hear about. You've done some some pretty amazing stuff. Um, pretty revolutionary in my opinion. I, I, I don't remember the last time I saw maybe the remedy so long ago, 2004 or something where people were building multi-level stuff. And, um, but as I recall, I mean, I haven't seen that in such a long time, but um, it was pretty, very simple couple people maybe stacking up vertically and and uh, I, in my opinion echelon is much more than that there's the head up record that uh you just and you just had a head up record in california you're participating or maybe leading the charge on potential new formation ideas for the head up and head down record um so i don't know how you know you're yeah, not I, I, I can on take time, it but i can take yeah. it in order there um yeah so Early free fly formation, skydiving, the evolution was very grassroots and just a bunch of friends getting together. And um, between the years of 2004 and 2012, primarily, was a huge, I'd say, like escalation, ascension, stair stepping point in free fly formation skydiving, <clears throat> both in Southern and Northern California. And I ran an event series back then uh, for a couple few years. <clears throat> and then, uh, but more recently, I sort of revamped the idea of a invitational free fly event starting back in 2018. And it's fresh in my mind because today I was editing the best of, the best of Echelon between 2018 and 2023. So it's a, it's a pretty wow. cool video. Um, and we didn't start with the idea of multi-level anything. All my motivation was I want to do cool stuff. I was a little bit burnt out on some, some people and some things. And I'm like, I just want to jump with my friends and I'm, I don't care if it looks clicky and, and we're in train as a team because that's what it will take for these jumps to actually get appreciably better you have to have a large percentage of the same people doing the jumps. And, and we've really knocked that sort of business model out of the park because I don't really allow in more than like 6% new people every time. And it's not to be exclusive or anything. It's mostly because that's the only way the jumps get better. We can't have two thirds new people. It just won't work. Um, so it's, it's the right balance I have found where it's nice to have new blood and new energy and new people. And there's plenty of people I want to have be involved. So I take those opportunities when they become available. Um, but as a team working on stuff, uh, it just has to be that way. And, uh, it, it's wherever my inspiration guides us so i can't remember when i mean to your point j Russ, in the remedy there's exactly one jump that does a single infinity grip over the top and that was it it wasn't meant to go anywhere or do anything it was just kind of like instead of a four-way flower two people go high and now it's this three-dimensional thing and so we just started uh building off of that i don't recall there wasn't like some particular catalyst or anything that uh that was why but it's just the direction it took and um and we've been doing some super cool stuff and uh don't know where it's going don't care 
you know, again, it's wherever the inspiration takes us. And it's, it's not with any particular goal. It's just to have fun, fly with your friends and do pioneering stuff. And, uh, and to that end, we've been just super successful. So we had uh, a California head up record, which is sort of in service of building up to the world record coming uh, just under a year from now. Um, and we were trying to experiment with a different method of build for the core 40, which if you're head up or head down, what we tried to do, and it's probably too many weeds to really get into the finer details, but basically it's just a, we had been doing the same exact formation, head up and head down forever. And it was for, for us, it was kind of getting boring. You know, it's like, is there a better way? Like, let's, maybe we can find a better way. And that lights a little fire under us, makes it more interesting. And it may prove to be the right way to go. It might not, but at least it's something different and we can get uh, data on. Maybe it works head down better than head up. Who knows? Uh, but we've been working on that. We did utilize that new style at the California head up record, learned a bunch. Um, don't know, jury's still out on whether or not that's a path we should go forward on for the world record, but maybe, yeah. Uh, was that it? Was there one more at the end of that or did I cover everything? No, I, I wanted to just add for anybody who might be listening that <clears throat> in my opinion, it, as, as awesome as Echelon has been, that I don't think that the, the base or the core idea is, is really reinventing the wheel. It's just sort of like, hey, we want these jumps to be successful uh, on, on some level. It, it behooves all of us to make it sort of a private thing, which is what it is, um, which can sound on the on the surface, maybe a little bit snooty, like, hey, we're going to have a private group. But then on the back end of it, it, it means that everybody that comes can reasonably expect a high level of success because you've jumped together a bunch of times and and you trust each other and and, you know, people's skill sets and and you can sort of modify things around the skill sets that you have. That template could be used at other drop zones as well. Um, and you know, if there's motivated listeners, Chris, you you organize at your drop zone. If you have the same group of 10 people, it's just a microcosm of what Andy's talking about. He's doing two plane shots or three plane shots or whatever, um, but it doesn't have to be that. Just just making a group that's consistent and, and your skill set can really improve and you can start doing just cooler things because everybody's everybody's improving and it's a great way it's a great way to raise the skill set of everybody at the same time, basically making it a 40 person team, or I don't know how big echelon is 150 members or something, but um, making, making a team where everyone's committed to, to improving and, and working towards that. So yeah, something that, that's correct. You know. No, Jairus, I, I mean, that you said that is because I've, I've actually thought about that a very, very similar idea to that at my job. I'm like, man, it'd be so cool if I could just invite, a group of people that I know their skill set, I know what what we can do, what we can aspire to, and like like want to do that. Like just invite them and let's do this. Let's spend a weekend every so often. But then I kind of get that feeling like ah, oh, but I don't know that that's gonna make how's that gonna make people feel? What's that look like? But so to hear you hear you say it and talk about it and put it in those terms, like kind of reframe it. Like no, we're not doing it. The goal is not to leave people out. The goal is to work towards something and. I mean, one of the things that I heard when you say you only let in 6% new people, not just skills, but 
and and the, the ability to improve, but safety, right? I mean, that's yeah. got to keep safety at a very high standard because everybody, there's only a few new people. And so, um, yeah, so that's encouraging to hear. And if it's done, I think in the, with the right mindset in the right way and presented to the drops in the right way, they're like, Hey, we're, we're just trying to do something special and we want to, yeah, I think, I think it's really cool. Very it's, cool. Uh, it's safety and it's vibe, you know, like you don't, you, you gotta be good, but you gotta be someone I want to hang out with if we are on a weather hold all weekend, which happens <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but yeah, you wouldn't reframing is the right way to describe what you're thinking about because you would never look at a team training and be like, look at those people. So snooty. Why don't they let us jump with them? It's like, well, they're, they're team training. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Just a bigger team. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. Cool. What are your thoughts about the, um, for anybody who might be listening, Andy, what are your thoughts about the upcoming 200 way? Have you had, give us a little teaser on your new formation designs? Oh, for the head down? Yeah. I mean, that's so, I think, you know, Matt Fry will be taking the lead on that. But from what I understand, I mean, I think we already know that new style of the 40-way core is easier head down. And it seems to be really functional head down. So I would imagine it's going that direction for head down and... um and then outside of that, building off of the belly flyers success, which is also nothing new. Like everything we've learned, we've ultimately conceded to what the belly flyers have already figured out a long time ago. We're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're ago. smarter. Yeah. We're smarter than you. We got better ideas. <laughs> and then you come back tail tail between the legs like, yeah, you were right. Um, so in, including the idea of long, you know, palm frond looking things, or we're been referring to them more recently as like spine and ribs or the, you know, the, because what needs to happen is subsections need to be able to build while you're waiting on what's going on in front of you. And then there's you know, keystone areas where the subgroup attaches to the core. So whatever needs to happen to make that a possibility, it's going to be to everyone's benefit. And exactly how that manifests is still being ironed out. But like I said, I'll, I, I will play whatever role makes the most sense for me. But I think, I think Matt Fry's uh, taking the lead on that. So for anybody who's not listening, there's been a couple in 2018, 2022, 2021, man, time goes quick, but uh, I think it was 18 and 21 that we yep, attempted right. a 200 way head down formation and, and we were not successful uh, uh, for either of those events. Uh, we weren't successful at a 200 way. And so there's just been really wonderfully <laughs> some different ideas branching out into what we can do as far as builds and, and sort of you know, if I could sum up what Andy was, was talking about and some of that stuff, just the efficiency of our build and, and allowing some things to build while other things are not quite built yet, where the, the iterations that we did in the past were basically just scaled up versions of the exact same thing that we, we built a core and then, and then built out from there, um, but, uh, with the, the last two not going 
the way that we had hoped. Um, there's just been a, a really nice um, sort of uh, flowering of, of different ideas and ways that we might proceed that have a different chance of success. Um, yeah, so that's really exciting. Um, let's see, we're just over an hour. Andy, you want to throw anything else in there? I would love to regale people with stories of your past, but I'm not sure if this is the right <laughs> podcast for that. Yeah, we'll, we'll segregate that out. But um, yeah. no, I mean, I, I'm happy to, I can go for a little longer if there's any worthwhile things to touch on. Um, hmm. If you have something on, on your mind, Andy, that, that you want to share or something that interesting that you have going on, um, we'd love to hear it. I, I also, I, I do want to get to that question that you mentioned, uh, Jay Rest at the beginning from one of our listeners. But if there's oh, anything, yeah, yeah. anything else on, on your mind, uh, Andy, please. Uh, let's, let's do the listener question first, and then we'll see where we stand. Okay. So uh, I, I think her name is Anna, and she looks like a newer jumper. She has 30, 30 jumps. And she said, you know, she really wants to know, how, how do I become a part of the community and keep steady progression when I feel so far behind other people? when I feel so far behind, how do I get that progression other than the tunnel? Some of my friends have 200 jumps or more, and I only have 30. I just finished my license and I don't know what to do. So what I hear her saying is, you know, she's a newer jumper, younger jumper, only has 30 or so jumps. A lot of her friends are 200 jumps or more progressing because for one, they're also spending time in the tunnel is what it sounds like. So she's saying, how do I become a part of the community? How do I also progress when maybe I don't, maybe she doesn't have the time, maybe she doesn't have the financial resources or whatever to be in the tunnel. Um, I thought this was a great question that I think a lot of people probably at some point in their skydiving career have, have felt or dealt with. Um, go ahead, Jared. No, no, you're the, I was going to say you're the uh, guest you get to answer. And if I hear, I've got a couple of thoughts that I might add at the end. First, particularly in your first, you know, I was going to say 200, but even a thousand jumps, it's like, think about whenever you learn something new, your increments of improvement are massive. So the difference between 50 jumps and a hundred is, can be significant, right? And then the difference between 100 and 200 will be a little bit less than that, but still, still a jump. And then the difference between 900 and 1,000, you would expect to be a little bit less. You see, you see what I'm laying out. So it can be misleading as a brand new jumper if you have 30 jumps and that other person has 60 and they're flying circles around you. It's like, well, that, yeah, that, so what? <laughs> um, so that's one thing. Uh, and then this will be a good uh, opportunity to describe what I refer to as my, uh, my triangle of progression. And on this triangle, one side is time, one side is money, one side is sacrifice. And you just got to decide what you have more, what do you have more of than another? Because you really need two. It doesn't matter which two, but you need two. So if you don't have a lot of money, but you're willing to sacrifice and you can make the time, then it's like, you know, pitch your tent on the drop zone, offer to clean the bathrooms. And that's how you earn your jumps now, you know, like 
sucks, but this, these are the decisions you have to make. You know, the person who has money and uh, can sacrifice a week because they don't have a ton of time, well, maybe they can complete their entire AFF in a week because they're, they're busy people and they, you know, whatever. So different solutions present themselves based on which two you decide you have more of than the other. For a lot of younger jumpers, it's the money, right? So you got to get creative. And there's plenty of creative solutions out there, you know, like if there's a prominent coach in your area, one thing coaches hate doing is the admin involved with coaching. I've, I've seen it where someone's like, hey, can I basically be your secretary? Can I manage your coaching, manage your schedule? And all you have to do is show up and do it. And I don't need to get paid, but maybe you can throw me some free coaching, you know, you get creative, you know, like you got that if in the absence of money, you just got to get creative. That can be in terms of now you live in the tent and <laughs> the drop zone instead of your apartment, you know, like it can manifest in a lot of different ways, but, but you got to get, you got to get creative with it. Um, and if that creativity yields tunnel time to kind of kill two birds with one stone there, all the better. But it's, whew, it, it's hard to get away with not having tunnel time these days. Yeah. Um, darn near impossible especially if you're comparing if you're going to compare yourself to others who are doing tunnel time it's just lost on a lot of people how little time you have to practice when you skydive like you know we so i just did a 20-way one of my invitational events this past weekend and it and it went pretty well but plenty of jumps didn't complete to the end you know so some frustration and kind of like, ah, man, I wish, you know, I thought that would have worked better or whatever. Um, but the thing is, we were at it sunrise to sunup for three days in a row, got all the jumps that were allocated, and that yields 11 minutes of practice. You know, that's not a lot. And I don't know of a lot of sports that are that are like that. You know what I mean? which requires, I'm sorry, which, which means visualization for skydiving is so important because I'm not an expert on the, on the sports psychology and the science of it, but in so many ways, your body doesn't know the difference. If you're visualizing the skydive or actually doing the skydive, as long as you're thinking about it in the right way. So that plays a much bigger role in skydiving. Um, and the tunnel just flips that on its head. You know, if you can go get 15 minutes of tunnel time, even in a week, chances are you couldn't match that in two weekends at the drop zone. So it's just so imperative. And especially in the beginning, if the tunnel is in lieu of actually skydiving, I would, I would encourage that trade because everything's an opportunity cost. Everything is a trade-off. And when you're getting an initial handle on things, you got to do the tunnel, even if it even if it means doing a proportional less number of skydives uh, with a coach. Um, and it doesn't have to be like the marquee coach, you know. It can, one of the tunnel instructors is, is probably fine. 
for the uh, for what you need to know at that level. And um, you know, shifting, reframing again, using that description of your priorities. Like, well, what is it that you want to do? Like, you want to skydive productively with your friends? Then I get it, but that tunnel time has to sort of take the front seat. If this person is is where I'm imagining them to be, I don't I don't know her details, of course, but um, I'm imagining like a 30 jump person who sees the 40 and 50 and 60 jump person rocketing ahead of them because they're because they should be first of all back to the first thing I said, but also they're supplementing it appropriately with with that tunnel time. Um, so you got to assess your triangle of progression and then make some decisions. <laughs> and that's just every jumpers, every new ju newer jumpers, a uh, lot in life. <laughs> you got to answer those questions. <clears throat> I, I just wanted to add to this particular person that, <clears throat> you know, Andy, Andy gave a little bio in the beginning of, I think, starting jumping in 96, but then really doing his AFF after university at like. 2000 to something like that. Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, 20, 23 years coming up on 24 years of, uh, mm -hmm. of skydiving. I, I would venture you're north of 20,000 jumps somewhere. Um, although I have really have no idea. Um, and I'm at a very similar timeline, uh, with Andy, but everybody starts in the beginning. It, that's just the way that it is. And, and Andy started out with his AFF and belly jumps and, oh, hey, free flying looks cool. And let me get into that. And when he started, really, there was there was only Orlando at that point. And, and it wasn't super powerful in 2000. And so free flying, you could kind of do it. But anyway, he went the hard way. And this this person has the option, just as as he said, for at a radically lower cost to go get better in the tunnel, even though it like a lot of people balk it oh, it's 300 bucks or whatever it is for 15 minutes. I mean, that is remarkably cheap for 15 minutes of free fall with a coach. Um, remarkably cheap. And and so I, I would really encourage the, this uh, listener yeah. to a Apples to, to apples to comparison. There's no contest, none. And that's not even putting a value on the time, yeah. right? 15 minutes with the coach is going to take you a grand total of an hour with briefing, debriefing, and rotation sharing. Like I said, maybe you can get that much practice in two weekends all day. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not going to be as effective at all. So if that point is lost on someone, if they don't, if they don't recognize some of those things and they think tunnel is just, you know, uh, an alternative to skydiving, but it isn't really a thing you need. Like they might need some of those things gently pointed out to them. Uh, because yeah, it's true. I, I, I had a thousand jumps before I ever did a tunnel camp and thought I was a decent sit flyer. <laughs> I take a, a, a thousand jumps of, uh, bad habits, get in the tunnel and get humbled real fast. And then it was, uh, I think I had 2000 jumps before I ever flow head, flew head down in the tunnel. And it wasn't as bad as sit flying, but it, it still carried some humble pie with it as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. That, those are very good things. Both of you guys. Thank you very much for taking the time to give those responses. I, I like that. The triangle time, money, and sacrifice. 
that's really that's, good. that's a great mm-hmm. picture to have in your head. That's it awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, and JRS, yeah. I don't. What, what, what do you? Because everyone, everyone has, or or you know, you can decide you're going to make more money. That's the answer, and that's great. That's fine. But what you have in any given moment is to shed things from your life in order to have more time and perhaps shedding those things is the sacrifice. Uh, so yeah, what do you, what do you have two of and what, and what are you willing to make two of if you don't have any of them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Jairus, what you said about just the, the cost difference between, I mean, the people mm-hmm. don't really realize how much cheaper the tunnel is and in your, in your crave course, remember, I don't know if you remember, you, yeah. you laid it out, you know, dollar for dollar, every single thing. Um, and the difference in pricing and the tunnel is just so much cheaper for what you get and the progression that you can make is so much faster and greater. And I'm going to make a a sincere, honest plug for crave for our courses. I I really believe that these courses that we've put together on the crave platform are very beneficial and it is meant to supplement, you know, a lot of people can't afford to go to a camp or to hire a private coach. And so that's one of the reasons that, we've developed these courses and put them out there so that people can at least get the knowledge and the information and then use that knowledge information for the visualization for the the practicing and 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 then when they get with a coach when they get in the tunnel or in the sky they're just a few steps ahead so i'm going to encourage her to go check out you know the crave website and and consider signing up for a subscription and start watching through these courses just that knowledge itself is going to help i think I, i believe I agree. And I, I think when we did that, I, I reiterated, a, I wrote a kind of a paper long time ago about the tunnel and using very conservative numbers for like the cost of what you're going to pay a coach in skydiving, what you're going to pay for packing. It's still a, an hour, an hour's worth of free fall with a coach, not doing back to backs was just under $10,000, I believe. And an hour of coached tunnel time is obviously it's right around a thousand eleven hundred twelve hundred something like that so roughly one tenth of the cost and 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 andy kind of pointed this out and i just want to reframe it um that you know if you if you sort of <clears throat> get an aggregate time of 10 minutes between two weekends your learning segments are are wildly separated each 40 seconds of learning is then separated from the next 40 seconds by an hour and then perhaps another weekend that you have to wait and, and things fade and blah, 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 where you're, you're, I don't know if I'd encourage somebody to do an hour in a day, but you can easily do an hour in two days. Um, and then all of that is condensed together, the instant feedback. You're not understanding. Let's just step out of the wind for a second. I'm going to talk to you. We're going to step in the wind. There's no packing. There's no airplane ride. There's, it's just, <clears throat> as Andy said, you just, you, you really, if you want to be a better scout ever, the tunnel is part of your picture at this point. And probably in the early days, again, just reiterating that it's probably a bigger part of the picture than skydiving, perhaps, um, if you really want to maximize your efficiency and, and cost. And the tunnel, there's always good video to review. Always. You know, I've had plenty of times where I was trying to coach somebody in the sky and we'd get down to go watch the video. And I'm like, oh, sorry, my camera got banged on exit or the battery died or who knows, you know, all sorts of, or I just had yeah. them out of frame. You know, I just didn't do a good job filming them, but in the tunnel, you always, that's all spot on what it's all spot on what, what JRS said. And I would, I would also add person to person. There's going to be a sweet spot. You might quickly, if you tried to do too much tunnel time in the same day, you might quickly be up against diminishing returns. 
where you need space to digest physically and mentally, and then you come back to it. And that's going to vary person to person. Um, and sometimes you have that luxury because the tunnel time is wide open. Sometimes you got to take what you can get, but certainly 40 seconds, an hour, 40 seconds, and then a week is no good for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, kind of dial in your sweet spot, uh, availability allowing, um, with the tunnel time to, uh, get those things, but you're, yeah. And as a coach, you're spot on. Like that was my biggest challenge as a new coach, new free fly coach. It's uh-huh. like, man, to f- chase down someone who's a fly and keep them in frame and keep, have debriefable video. That is a <laughs> skill unto itself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully that works for her or points her in the right direction. Yeah. 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 It'll give her, it'll be food for thought at the very least. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. It's that time J Russ. Yeah. You've, you've done it again. You've, you've spent the most glorious, wonderful spent. hour. You didn't, <laughs> it was the best way you could have spent this hour. Is that better J Russ? You like that better? That is better. Every other episode, Andy, he said, Oh, here you wasted another hour listening to another J Russ and, and Chris and somebody else. And I'm like, we're not wasting time. We're, we're, you know, this is, nothing else it's good we didn't i suggested that we might talk about peace in the middle east we'll have to leave that one for andy's right. uh return visit yeah that'd okay. be cool. i'll look forward to it guys thanks for having me this was fun yeah thank yeah, you very much awesome. for being on the show <clears throat> for everybody listening thanks thanks for listening thanks for supporting what we're doing and for the the positive feedback we've been getting um like like we keep saying get out there jump out of that airplane just have fun man enjoy being in the sky with your friends enjoy skydiving that's how why we got into it to have fun to be free and just have a good time. Uh, Thanks for being here, Andy. Thanks everybody for listening. Crave, do more, be better.